This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to episode 355 of MuggleCast. Welcome, Eric, back to the show. Hello, hello. Hope you enjoyed your two-week vacation. Yeah. Yeah. How was it? What'd you do? In the woods of uh, Pennsylvania. You guys know I'm from Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. So I was leaving Clues. I didn't know if any of you guys would pick up on this. So far, I didn't see any emails, but I was called in. I don't know if I mentioned to you I'm a maledictus. I have a blood curse. I turn into a Punxsutawner, that creature I posted about last week. And, oh, interesting. And uh, I had to do, I, I was called into Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for Groundhog Day. And I had to do this whole ceremony. It was great. That's nice. Just next time, let us know that you're doing that. Yeah, I know. I thought it would be more of a surprise, but next time I'll definitely let you know. And, you know, I couldn't text because when I'm a Punxsutawner, I have no thumbs. Well, and, and just remind me, though, Eric, what day of the week is Groundhog's Day? I'm not sure that's important. It was a... a... I don't think it <laughs> falls on a Sunday, but... It was weird. You know, I was going through time and space with my shadow and there was this whole thing. Okay, well, just for future reference, I just... Yeah, no, it's good to be back with y'all. I did miss you guys because you're down in Florida one week and uh, the next week I was missing in action. So it's good to be back, though. I'm really excited. Yeah. <laughs> little update. I did give Eric my Prisoner of Azkaban Illustrated Edition artwork. Yes, I did ask for it. Thank you, Andrew. I'm actually going to... It looks fantastic uh, on my wall between my Deathly Hallows 1 poster and my Driving Lessons poster, the movie with Rupert Grint and Julie Walters. And I'm going to tack it up there probably uh, later this afternoon. Tack it up? You're not going to frame it? Well, you know, I'm trying for... I'm going for the college dorm look, but actually... uh, Okay. I'm actually just low on on funds. I got to get a... I gotta get if a frame. If that's the for case, it. I mean, just scotch tape it. Scotch tape it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why put little holes in your wall? What did you think of that new concept art from the upcoming new paperback editions? I think he looks forty years old. I'm sorry, I completely really? disagree that it looked good. I didn't. I mean, I, I, you're talking about Harry's eyes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's those are those are older gentlemen's eyes. I'm afraid. You see some of his forehead, and I don't know. I thought he looked like Sorcerer Stone Harry in the movie. I don't know. I still, I still think the closest we get of an eleven-year-old Harry is the U.S. Mary Grandpre edition, but that's a personal preference, I think. Okay. On that. All right. This whole episode is just going to be catching up with Catch- Eric. <laughs> so, what did you think of Celebration of Harry Potter and the hot butter beer? I mean, your and guys' the review was great. Micah's hesitation to hot butter beer is completely inexplicable. I don't get it. But at least you got him to try it in the end there. And so let's get your fandom ID now. What do you think of <laughs> favorite book? What did you think of the Dumbledore scuffle last week? That it's just not a comfortable situation. I think that I mean I was disappointed, obviously. I think it's possible that in the EW interview, the way David Yates's words were interpreted was not the way he intended for them to be interpreted. But J.K. Rowling is quickly losing all of the good faith I think that she's built up over the last however many years by never seeming to make the right move in understanding and being the Joe we used to know her to be. And so I think it's just something that got exacerbated. Obviously people were still shook up about the Johnny Depp stuff and look, it sucks. Like I want it to, I want gay Dumbledore to be canon. And so far just not seeing it. I don't know. Watch this space, as J.K. Rowling said. (laughs) 
see the movie first, then judge. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try. Before we get to some news, congratulations to Damie and Isaac, the January winners of our January Slug Club Patreon giveaway. They won Pop Sockets. Pop Sockets. I personally am not on this craze yet. These these things that you attach to the back of your phone so you can hold it easier. I think that's dangerous because I don't want excuses. I don't want reasons to hold it more often. That's true. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Well, Damien Isaac, congratulations. Uh, yes, congratulations. <laughs> Is that what these two officially things are, called pop yeah, sockets. Pop, pop sockets. Yeah, our uh, our PO box guy actually gave me a couple, uh, Andrew. So I have a, a Slytherin for you. Oh, perfect. I mean, I'm not going to use it because I don't want to hold my phone more. I, I want it to hurt to hold, so I hold it less. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also a stand. It's also like a little kickstand, which is kind of That's cool. true. I did see somebody do that the other day. I was like, oh, that's that's helpful. They are actually all the rage, so super cool. Uh, Damien Isaac, write in. Let us know what you think of your... Uh, they chose... Uh, I'm not going to say which house is... Well, yeah. They chose a Hufflepuff and a Ravenclaw, so good to know. Non, uh, Non-Gryffindor, Slytherin... Uh, main house uh choices yeah yeah before we get to some news also just want to mention that at the end of the episode we have a exciting update about our patreon in 2018 yeah also been an exciting couple of weeks for john williams huh eric that's right composer john williams who of course Edwig's theme, the first three Harry Potter films. We all know him. Star Wars, Indiana Jones. Uh, he's won his 24th Grammy Award. The man is 85 years old and still winning Grammys. This is just something cool because we all love John Williams. Andrew, you, you've you been to see him at the Bowl in L.A. how many times now? I think three. Yeah. And the first time, so he does this annual event at the Hollywood Bowl called uh john williams and the music of the movies or something like that and wow it is special and i got really lucky the first year like the first 45 minutes was all harry potter but he changes it every year so you don't know what he's gonna do yeah i saw him with the chicago symphony orchestra two years ago i want to say and it was amazing yeah it's it's a part of what makes it so special is you're seeing a living legend yeah orchestrate right before for your eyes so that's very cool yeah i remember uh when we were in orlando andrew and we had seen the orlando philharmonic perform all of the music of the first four films as you mentioned uh john williams composed the first three and i think uh, it was patrick doyle that composed goblet of fire but i remember turning to you and saying i don't know that there's a more accomplished person alive right now in 2018 than John Williams. If, if you just go back and think of all of the different scores that he's responsible for, it's pretty amazing. So what's the news with him, Eric? Just that he won the Grammy. He's also won five Academy Awards, six Emmy Awards, four Golden Globe Awards, and seven British Academy uh, BAFTAs. So anyway, in case you didn't know this, he's also holding the record for the oldest living person with the most Oscar nominations at 51 and uh, he's just behind Walt Disney at 59. So, you know, I just don't think that uh, we pay our respects to John Williams as often. This is a good opportunity since he just won another Grammy to say we love you, John. We hope you continue to make scores and maybe even, you know, an upcoming Fantastic Beast film if you uh, can fit it in your busy schedule. Yeah, I mean, it's been 15 years since he composed the Harry Potter score, right? Yeah, it's going to so come So it's back. about time to check in and say uh, thanks, John. 
that's how they can make people who are feeling weary about Fantastic Beasts come back. They can get John Williams to write a score or two. In some other news, another round of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child tickets went on sale for those who were verified fans. And now that that is over, they are now open to the public. You can go and try to get tickets whenever you want. However, most shows are sold out. I was actually, before recording today, going through the process to see what it's like. It's pretty easy. You select if you want to see both parts on the same day or separate days or if you just want to see one part or the other. And then you just page through the calendar looking for availability. It's all sold out, really. Like There's some where it says there's minor availability, like actually within the first couple of months. But then you have to drill down into specific price ranges. It won't just tell you what tickets are available. You have to actually look by price. So it's quite a process. If you still haven't got Cursed Child tickets and you're trying to see it anytime soon, they are encouraging you to check back regularly because people might return tickets or additional seats may come available. You guys, let's return our tickets. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like I already saw it. So if you want to return oh, our tickets, no, no, that's no. Well, fine. Okay, no. We should, that's $400 <laughs> back in probably, uh, yeah, each yeah, of we our probably go see it. So, you know what? But I was still please. hearing from people that got waitlisted after the second round of um, Verified Fan. And it was just, it's just sort of a nightmare keeping people on the hook. And now, of course, that they're open to the play, it's just a free for all. There's probably no good way to do this in the end, like looking back, hindsight 2020. But Ticketmaster, man, like, it just, I wish that if anybody can figure out how to do it painlessly, it should be Ticketmaster. And this was just not a situation where that occurred. What's the date that tickets are available through now? Like April 2019, I want to say. But we do, we did hear from a lot of people who were able to get tickets this latest verified fan round, including friends of the show Colin and Haley I know they got tickets together and many of our patrons did as well they were posting in the private Facebook group that we have letting us know that they had some luck but not everyone had luck they were on standby again and whatnot so that's there won't be many updates I don't think concerning Cursed Child ticket sales over the next year because they're basically all sold out now oh yeah I wonder what stats or we'll know how big the theater is and if every performance is sold out, we could do the math. But yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably be quiet on Cursed Child Broadway unless they do more promotional videos for like previews or if reviews start coming out of like respected Broadway catalogs or something like that. But uh, I am excited to see it with you guys on opening day this year, April 25th. And we're going to have to get your reviews as well. Yeah. About seeing the show. I know you guys feel like you've seen it because you read it, but you haven't. You don't understand how good <laughs> it is. That's literally what everybody who's seen it in defense it tells me. So I'm going to yeah. sneak an owl into the performance because <laughs> I'm doubting that there's going to be. It's actually just going to be a pigeon dressed up as an owl. You know, they were selling owls in the Chris Child merchandise store. So you should buy one because you keep bringing it, them up and then you can bring it into the theater with you and you can throw it onto the stage during a scene and you can make a noise it's not real it's probably stuffed right yeah well yeah no micah they're not selling live owls for (laughs) consumers now there's an idea i'm just saying (laughs) it's a million dollar idea micah's owl shop outside of the lyric theater on broadway coming april 2019 18 this episode of muggle cast is sponsored by beach body on demand 
So Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. Beachbody On Demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. You may be familiar with workouts of theirs, including PO, P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, T25, or Three Week Yoga Retreat. So I mentioned a few weeks back when Beachbody was sponsoring our last episode of MuggleCast that they sponsored. I'm on a self-made plan this year to lose uh, some weight and get in shape. So thank, But it's thanks to Beachbody On Demand that I'm realizing that goal. Just this morning, I woke up for an early morning workout with members of the U.S. Armed Services. Tony Horton's 22 Minutes Hard Core, which he does with members of the Armed Services, kicked my butt. And I had a nice shower and I'm here now. When I'm looking for something more relaxing than hardcore, I click on the Beachbody Yoga Studio and relax and improve my flexibility with yoga with Autumn Calabrese. She's a delight. With Beachbody On Demand, I've never had a more intense time in my living room, nor been as satisfied. And speaking of living rooms, Beachbody On Demand is accessible via your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device. I use it on my Roku. So there's no need to go to a gym or schedule a class. Everything's right there on your personal device. Beachbody On Demand is the total package to help you become the total package this year. You got to give it a try. Right now, listeners of MuggleCast can get a free trial membership. This is huge, guys. All you need to do is you text MuggleCast, all one word, no spaces, to 303030. It's a text message. You'll get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutrition information, free. It's, it's so close to being too good to be true. Just text MuggleCast to 303030. Guys, you got to get on this. I mean, the sheer number of workouts you can choose from, all based on what your personal fitness goals are, it's amazing. It really works. It really, it really works. All right, so a little more news now. We spoke a few weeks ago about the... Harry Potter Illustrated Edition, Kindle in Motion Editions. What a title. And basically these illustrated editions that you purchase for Kindle on your smart tablet will come to life. All the illustrations are animated. And we were like, how do they animate those? Did the original illustrator, Jim Kay, give them the like raw artwork files and they could then manipulate them? No. They did something insane. I'm going to play a clip from a behind-the-scenes look at these books. The first thing we had to do was create thousands of layers out of the artwork. If something was going to move, it had to be cut out. In Diagon Alley alone, uh, we had to prep over 200 layers for animation. After we cut everything out, then we moved on to a process called rigging. Animation is like acting with purpose. And breaking is where we can build digital purpose rings that allows you to forget about the program and just think about acting. They took every single illustration in this book and cut it up into a billion pieces to animate them. Talk that about is just going the hard route. Insane. Yeah. I mean, these were already digitally created images. I don't understand why they... Well, anyway, that's impressive. Yeah, I, I was just uh, very blown away by that. And the Kindle in Motion edition is available now of Sorcerer's Stone. Presumably, they're going to be doing the 
other ones as well. I know that the uh, Fantastic Beast one is already out, the first one. So, yeah, good stuff. Good work, people. And finally, you wanted to mention one other thing, Eric. Yeah, um, we didn't mention this a couple weeks ago. There was, I think it was the Golden Globes. Alison Sudol, who plays Queenie Goldstein in Fantastic Beasts, we all know her, is well attended the Golden Globes with David Harbour, who plays Sheriff Hopper in Stranger Things. And um, it turns out they're dating. And she actually has just become a Greenpeace ambassador to Antarctica. Anyway, we've had uh, our, I remember our Queenie discussion in the um, the 320s about 30 episodes ago it was really well, and there was a lot of information about Allison Sudol personally in that episode. But now she's a Greenpeace ambassador, and if you're not already following her on Instagram, you absolutely should. That's really all I'll say. This is just sort of a lighter, lighter touch, lighter news item. But she's going on a this whole trip to march with penguins because David Harbour on Twitter tweeted at Greenpeace and said, "If I get enough retweets, will you will you send me to Antarctica to dance with penguins?" So anyway, it's just a, a fun you know pick me up for if you're feeling down during the week, go over and and, and check out what those guys are doing on social. It's it's pretty cool. But um, being a Greenpeace ambassador is is actually really exciting. She Allison joins the ranks of the vast other cast members and crew members who are doing things, making the world a better place. So I thought that was important to mention. I wanted to start a new segment this week as I reread some of the Harry Potter books. I'm, I skipped one and two, but I started reading three and then I'm about to finish four. And I wanted to start a new segment, which I'm tentatively titling The Pensieve. This is a segment in which we look back at parts of the Harry Potter series in a different light now that we're older. Because most of us read these books for the first time when we were younger and we had different perspectives on the world we weren't as educated and now that we read these as adults we look at some of these plot points and the politics of the series in different light today i wanted to talk about fudge and his denial of the truth this comes at the end of goblet of fire of course after harry has encountered voldemort after cedric was killed Harry saw Voldemort with his own eyes, and Dumbledore believes him, but Fudge does not. Fudge is in denial that Voldemort has returned. This is partly, as Fudge says, because he dreads undoing the past 13 years of recovery in the Wizarding World since Voldemort's initial rise. And that's a valid point. You know, they've they've recovered from this horrible time in the Wizarding World, and they don't want to return to that horrible time, so he's just in denial that it happened. But... The problem is Fudge is not believing credible sources, meaning Harry and Dumbledore, and he lets unreliable sources, Rita Skeeter, get in the way of hurting those with credibility. And then in Order of the Phoenix, he goes on to launch a smear campaign. Yeah, I think it's really relevant to get back into Fudge around this time politically. You have a situation where the media is heavily influencing the Wizarding World. It's really almost prophetic that J.K. Rowling wrote this in a book in 2003 and that it's become, it's well, it's depressing that it's become sort of a reality. But you have people in charge of a country who are easily swayed by news items, presumably allow what they read in the paper or see on Fox and Friends to influence their entire political agenda and decisions that are being made that affect whole swaths of people based on clearly biased and ill-informed, unintelligent, 
Um, what's the word? Discourse. So it just kind of is super relevant to be talking about Fudge. Do we feel better or worse about him? I'm not sure. Well, I don't feel better about him, but like you, I found it very forward thinking of Joe to be writing about this. But of course, this is not the first time stuff like this, a, a battle against the truth has happened in the real world. I'm sure there are examples that she was specifically drawing from. But the other thing that was making me think about how it applies to the real world is that Fudge does not, he spends all of Order of the Phoenix not believing that Voldemort is back in the smear campaign against Harry and Dumbledore until he sees Voldemort with his own eyes. And in the real world today, I was applying this to how people might be in denial about climate change. Despite scientists saying, you know, it's like some crazy statistic, like 95% of scientists agree that climate change is real. You can't exactly see climate change. You can't wake up one morning and suddenly see that temperatures are rising, the ice caps are melting, the sea levels are rising. It's a very slow movement, sort of like Voldemort's return was a slow movement, and then it wasn't really visible. But Fudge, of course, completely, <laughs> he has to believe it when, it when you see it with your own eyes, and then he has to step down. So I just thought that was very interesting as well. Yeah. Fudge is probably a flat earther, if we're being honest. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I think that he is just somebody who is, I don't want to say he's self-absorbed, but as you mentioned earlier, Andrew, he, he's dealing with what has become good times. And you could put good in quotation marks, but all the writing is on the wall, right? That's the tough part. And, and I just don't think he wants to come to that realization, at least not in, in that moment. And it's unfortunate that it takes him actually coming face to face, albeit for a very brief period, with Voldemort himself for him to actually believe that he's back. I think to the fact that we know that Voldemort called all the Death Eaters using the Dark Mark at the end of Goblet of Fire. We know that Snape is a former Death Eater. Why not Dumbledore take Snape and show him show his arm right to fudge say look like this thing is moving it's active like <laughs> but all the build up to me i i just think that somebody who's who's in denial and he doesn't want to come to face the truth right the breakout at Az azkaban the dark mark at the quidditch world cup the fact that he has people telling him that moldemort is back and he doesn't want to believe it it's just uh it's tough to watch. And he's he's based on a real character. J.K. Rowling mentioned this in an interview she did back in 2008, that he was based on Neville Chamberlain, who was a prime minister during the early part of World War II. So I wonder if there's any sort of connection between how he behaved in, in the series and how Neville Chamberlain actually behaved. Maybe denying the threat of the Nazis. Perhaps, um, yeah. 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 And a little correction, Micah, he, Snape actually did show his dark mark to Cornelius Fudge. And Harry was there. And Fudge was just like, oh, you say it's darker, but I know tattoos. Is it really right. darker all of a sudden? Okay. Yeah. I just have, I don't have any sympathy for Fudge. And I think it was very irresponsible of him. And of course it was right for him to step down once. Yeah. And it's almost too little too late. Oh, he, he's stepping down. Right. But like the damage has been done. People could have been forewarned for two years prepping for Voldemort and, and it would, Voldemort would have had a harder time, I think, coming into power, even with his body back. 
if more people were just aware. Raising awareness is like such an effective and powerful tool, puts everybody on their guard, saves a lot of lives. We just expect better from politicians, I think. And the double-edged sword of being a politician is that you're also a politician who cares about things like uh, re-election and basically Fudge chooses to appease the people. He chooses to maintain the status quo. He's not a particularly brave individual or smart individual. And as a result, he makes the wrong decisions time and again. And I think his motivations are are clearly explained or or shown in the course of the Harry Potter books. But we do ultimately expect better of people in, in the real world. And unfortunately, just he didn't do the right thing, and people probably died from it. Yeah, I mean, then you hear Dumbledore lay out his plan for what should be happening to Fudge, and, and Fudge is like, no, I'm not going to do any of these things. Yeah, and the Fudge and Dumbledore thing real quick is, like, interesting because we know that there's been a relationship there politically. Like, Fudge thinks Dumbledore wants his job. Fudge is very uh, vulnerable to believing Anyone who says, yeah, Dumbledore, yeah, he thinks he could do the job better than you. Like, it's ultimately not untrue. Dumbledore does think he could. I mean, Dumbledore would be a better minister of magic. We all know this. But his own temptations of having power from back when Grindelwald was in charge and they were going to run the world together has meant that Dumbledore takes a back seat, right? He forces himself to take a back seat. But if I were Fudge, maybe Fudge has this inkling about Dumbledore's manipulative side. Maybe there have been political machinations in the past, which we may or may not see in Fantastic Beasts, where Dumbledore is kind of manipulative to the government or to the rules in the way that he's manipulative to Harry, right? Because Dumbledore is all about achieving an end. Maybe there is something to Dumbledore that makes, and between Dumbledore and Fudge, that makes Fudge distrust him so much. Harry, he absolutely should trust. Harry's got nothing to lose. His parents are dead. Harry's the one person Fudge should be trusting more than Dumbledore. Even if he's got a personal vendetta with Dumbledore, he should trust Harry. And like he's not because of the things that Rita Skeeter has written about Harry. And I'm like, you must know Rita Skeeter doesn't always tell the truth, that she stretches the truth. How do you not see that? She's telling the story that he wants to hear, though. That's the key. And so because of that, it's almost just feigning ignorance, right? As long as she is putting out stories that help build his own case, he doesn't care. And going back to the part about Dumbledore for a second, Dumbledore, as far as we know, never sought to aspire, at least in the time frame that that we know him, to become Minister for Magic, right? He even says that despite overwhelming popularity to take that role, he turned it down. Wasn't there a mention of that at some point? So and Cornelius Fudge, he's minister really for a very brief period of time when you look at it. And and he kind of comes into that role as Harry is entering Hogwarts. He wasn't minister when Harry defeated Voldemort. And, you know, it's right around that early 90s uh, time period. So and it's interesting also to, for me to see Fudge really be supportive of Harry early on, right? And then pivot. Because I think back to Prisoner of Azkaban and, and how protective he was looking to be of Harry. And then that completely does a 180 as you get towards the end of Goblet of Fire going into Order of the Phoenix. I think Fudge just never – Fudge is not a skilled politician either. Fudge is not 
a smart person even. And, and he just can't ever really put it. He never has a handle on Harry. Harry is always this kind of rogue agent or rogue obstacle that Fudge prefers to push out of the way, even when he's seeming more fatherly or more protective, as you mentioned, Mike, at the beginning of Prisoner of Azkaban. It's really because his hands have been tied and it's really been forced. He's been forced to hide the truth from Harry while at the same time using ministry resources to protect him. He is as much protecting the world against the truth and all sorts of other junk. He just never, like, he wants to keep Harry safe, but I think that ultimately that's not, like, a fatherly thing, and it's more to do with the fact that keeping Harry safe would make his job easier. It would be less controversial, and he would be able to stay in office longer. And just think about his name, Fudge. Like, you fudge something, you're <laughs> you're, you're making it up, you're trying to get by, right? Because you don't really know what the hell you're doing. That's kind of who he is. And and Fudge is also... Should we have known in Prisoner of Azkaban that he was going to end up fudging things up? I think we should have known in Chamber of Secrets. Because, I mean, he carts Hagrid away. Nobody can prove that Hagrid is the uh, culprit. And frankly, that's confusing because with the rise of Voldemort, it should have been widely known, at least by Fudge, that Lord Voldemort was, in fact, behind Moaning Myrtle's death and was the heir of Slytherin and opened the Chamber of Secrets. That should have just come out... But he still carts Hagrid away, and Hagrid is our friend. And from then on, we should have known that Fudge wasn't very good at his job. I agree. I, I think Chamber of Secrets should have been the that initial point where we started to mistrust him. Because really, he just looks like he's influenced by other people. Lucius yeah, Lucius Malfoy. Malfoy. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, to me, that lends itself to his name. And I was also going to say... You could look at fudge and, and there's a word that you could associate with it that, that rhymes with mitt that I won't say on the show. But what? I'll ask you after the show, Mike. I'm lost. We have people listening live right now on patreon.com slash mugglecast and chiming in on the conversation. Evelyn says, to his credit, at least Fudge accepts Voldemort's return when he sees him. <laughs> Given that Voldemort disapparates shortly after somebody in Fudge's position. It's a hologram. <laughs> could have just gone on denying out of sheer stupidity and stubbornness. Right. He could have just been like, oh, Dumbledore, you just set up a hologram. That could have been way worse. You're exactly right. But I... <laughs> Do we really have to give him credit for admitting it once he sees it with his own eyes? Like, is that how low the bar is? Yeah, because I don't think POTUS would do it. <laughs> like, present present POTUS. I don't think he would do it. I think he sees things all the time that he still denies. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, there are examples of that. The, the crowd size of the inauguration, oh, the ratings God. of the yeah. State of the Union. He yeah. called it the largest ever when numbers show it was not, not even in the top three. So the, the one distinction I would draw between Fudge and POTUS is that Fudge is more a denier of the truth, whereas Trump just makes up his own truth. I think there's something inherently – you do forge a narrative when you deny the truth. Even if you're not actively lying and making new things up, you forge a narrative like people were actively not believing Voldemort was back for two years longer than they should have. And that's a security issue. And I don't think Trump would ever wear a bowler hat. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. No, I'm just – but there, there are definitely comparisons to be made, I think. Depending on how far we want to go, this can get overly political very fast, but – I think it is worth mentioning because, Eric, you 
touched on this earlier in the show that as J.K. Rowling was sitting there writing this character, it's almost like she had the foresight to see something that was coming down the road. J.K. Rowling in, a time traveler, do we think? Does she travel? Perhaps, perhaps. No, if she but, was, she would have been able to predict all this Johnny Depp nonsense <laughs> and, and handle it better, I hope. And the Overmorny stuff and the Dumbledore stuff and the, yeah, never mind. She's probably not a time traveler. Well, speaking of handling things better, how could Fudge have handled this better? If there was an alternate reality, first of all, he should have teamed up with Dumbledore immediately. Dumbledore was suggesting make friends with the giants now, make sure you have control of the Dementors now because they are all going to side with Voldemort and he is probably going to try and find them very soon. Man, Dumbledore was on it. Dumbledore was on his shit. He was. It's almost like, you know, some classic J.K. Rowling foreshadowing. She's previewing what is going to happen I mean, in book the future four books. is still, yeah, like you're so much more well-versed. Like it's so much more current for you having just reread. And I love that Dumbledore like flat out was just like make friends with giants. What would it have cost Fudge to make friends with the giants? Honestly, like you should kind of be friends with the giants. They're big and powerful. And, and it, why isn't the government you know, on good terms with them or like is just sort of disregarding them. It's a stupid oversight. Like there should be a department. There are so many departments of the ministry of magic. There should be a department for handling their shit. Wizard relations, wizard and giant relations. What's it really going to cost you? I'm sure they just want a mountain and like something, some kind of food supply. Like just make sure they have it and you'll be fine. I think the the whole reason Voldemort's able to recruit them is because he promised them the very low bar of whatever it is that they want, which is not very high. Giants not being very intelligent don't need much to, to please them. And the thing about the Dementors, Azkaban is a fe- federally run prison. Like, it's a country prison. Just do what Dumbledore says, man. Like, if they're – they clearly have betrayed the government once before and worked for Voldemort the first time around – it seems completely – whether or not you believe Voldemort is back, checking in with the Dementors, making sure they're happy. How many times in Prisoner of Azkaban did they rebel? I mean they openly crossed the boundaries of the school multiple times, which was not cool. These things should be obvious. Like separate from your, your own political bias, those few suggestions – and I'm sure Dumbledore carefully crafted them – are so like just basic, you know? True. Yeah. And – I just think that you know, Fudge just didn't want to be the one responsible. He didn't want to be the one in power when Voldemort came back. And that's what all of his actions point to is you can deny and deny and deny and deny, but eventually the truth catches up with you and that's what happened here. And what even happened to Fudge after he stepped down and Scrimgeour came into power? Do we know? Became a Fox News commentator. <laughs> if uh, I'm, I got his wiki here, I'll, I'll look at his post-ministry career. Not many details, actually. He returned for Dumbledore's funeral. Yeah, not not much. So to start wrapping this up, um, so like I said, team up with Dumbledore immediately. Take his advice about the Giants and the Dementors. Also, offer the public a calm and calculated warning. Like, hey, we... We have heard, you don't have to scream, oh my God, Voldemort's back, everybody panic. Just be like, hey, so there's a chance that Voldemort (laughs) is back. 
Something about hollows has kept him around all this time. Or sorry, horcruxes has kept him around all this time. We are looking into this and we're going to keep you safe. And then finally, actually, maybe examine these claims made by Harry and Dumbledore. How about looking at the Triwizard Cup where, where that was taking people? Looking at Harry's wand to see the spells that had come out of it. Like, there's a lot he could have done to try and research this, but he didn't. Yeah, in terms of just being minister and having the power to throw resources, like, almost an infinite supply of resources, right? Like, we know Dumbledore is super powerful, and we know the Aurors are really cool, but, like, I bet there's a lot of wizards who are of that same caliber who, if you would just be honest with them would come out of the woodwork and be able to help in any way possible, whether it's tracking Voldemort or his supporters or going on some of these liaison missions with the the different species. Like, what are the werewolves up to? Like, what's just checking in with people? It just seems like the government could be run more efficiently with more of an eye on prevention than it is. Unfortunately, people only want to hear what they want to hear. They had been living in this peace that Fudge is too weak to break And unfortunately, that's why it's so hard for recruitment as well. Dumbledore has Dumbledore's job is 15 times harder because Fudge just won't tell everybody even that he's considering the possibility. And it just means that people don't believe. And as a result, the hell that they live in, the hellish, you know, hellscape of book seven, when people when parents are getting, you know, missing and getting blackmailed for their children's lives. You know, all this stuff could have been prevented if Fudge were a little stronger. So I do think there's a special circle of hell for people like Fudge who simply cannot fathom the truth and don't do the right thing when confronted with it. I like what Andrew said, though, about at least launching some kind of investigation into all this. That would not have been that hard to do. Yeah, just lock down Albania. We know that that's Voldemort's vacation spot. It's where he found Quirrell. It's where Bertha Jorkins disappeared. Take the whole country and do a ground search. You'll find Voldemort right away. All right. So we have another segment coming up. This was suggested by one of our listeners. I'm excited to get to it. It's about the books that uh, the various editions kind of related to the covers discussion we were having. Hey, Andrew. Uh, Huh? But before we do... I just wanted to mention one other thing because I think it ties in nicely to the discussion we just had and uh, also to this week in MuggleCast history. Not exactly from a date standpoint, but we did an episode back in 2008. It was episode 162 called Potter Politics. And uh, we drew several comparisons between the politics of the real world and the wizarding world, we talked about things like racism, ethnic cleansing, Nazism, corruption, biased media, educational reform, amongst others. So that might uh, fit well with the discussion that we just had on Fudge. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Thanks for that plug. We have a second sponsor this week, and they're one you haven't heard from here on MuggleCast for a while. Audible! Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks and other spoken word entertainment. If you want to listen to an audiobook to become a better you or to read more books this year, this is the way to do it. Listening to audiobooks used to be a very different experience. You had to carry around the CDs or the cassette tapes. We all remember those big big boxes of them, (laughs) especially for Harry Potter because the books are so big. 
Now modern technology has made it possible to have an audiobook wherever you are. And the Audible app makes listening even better. You can send a book to a friend. And if it's their first time using Audible, they'll get it for free. You can also share clips from an audiobook with anyone. And best of all, the audiobook stays in sync no matter which of your devices you're currently listening on. So you can bring a book wherever you are. If you're walking the dog, if you're at the gym, if you're driving, you can always be reading. They're just as portable as podcasts are. And of course, we're all big readers here, so I know you will love Audible. And here's what I love most about them. You will consume more books because you can bring them anywhere. And nearly any book you could possibly want is on there, including the Harry Potter series narrated by Jim Dale. So maybe if you've been wanting to hear his amazing work, you can listen to it over on Audible. Go to audible.com slash MuggleCast or text MuggleCast to 500-500 to get started. So it's super easy. I just rejoined Audible. I am so stoked for the Andrew Lincoln read Quidditch Through the Ages, you guys. Oh, I can't yeah. believe you guys aren't Walking Dead fans, but when I heard that on 353, I was stoked. That was uh, very interesting news. I used to be a Walking Dead fan, but I'm just not anymore. Well, he's also, I think he's British. I mean, he is British. He's in Love Actually. He's actually the guy who uh, is like the videographer for Kira Knightley's wedding. That's Andrew Lincoln as well. Barely recognizable as Rick, but uh, it's totally him. Yeah. All right. So once again, go to audible.com slash MuggleCast or text MuggleCast to 500-500 to get started. You're going to get a free trial. And I really think you're going to love it. Free audiobook, baby. You can't beat it. All right. We've got another discussion for everybody this week. What did one of our listeners suggest, Eric? Yeah. So this is from Mackenzie T. of St. Louis. And uh, she sent a question in. She said, uh, here's the versions of Philosopher's Stone that I have. And there's, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six in the photo that she sent. Hardcovers, softcovers, the Johnny Duddle or Jim K version. Yeah, Johnny Duddle of Philosophers. The house editions, both deluxe or hardback and paperback. And I think a Kazu in here, maybe? Anyway, six editions. Mackenzie T asks... How many is too many? Should I stop? Does she have a problem? Does she have an addiction? Do, no, do we need I to did. get her professional help? Oh, come on. We act like we don't also have six copies of this first book. <laughs> no, I have. I, uh-huh. I have, of course, my original. I have no paperbacks. I don't believe in paperbacks if I already have the hardback. I have the illustrated edition, of course. And I didn't really ever give everybody an update on this. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the different covers, and I said how I loved Sorcerer's Stone 10th Anniversary Edition cover because it was by Mary Grand Prix and it shows Harry looking in the mirror of Erised. I bought it on eBay and I'm holding it right now and I absolutely love it. So I have three copies of Sorcerer's Stone. That sounded like you just mentioned seven of them. I wasn't counting, but it seemed like a lot. No, it's three. Original, Illustrated, and Anniversary. Wow. I am sure that I have at least five copies, including the Illustrated Edition, my first paperback, the UK, both children's and adult versions. This is where they get you. Like Harry Potter, obviously worldwide global phenomenon. There have been so many collector sets. Now there are anniversary collector sets. I get it. The need to collect, the habit of collecting, the different book covers, and some of them have like the house editions and the special content. I get it. It's exciting. But at what point, I want to actually tackle this on this podcast 
sparked by Mackenzie's question, how much is too much? And is there ever a point where you guys are going to stop yourselves from buying your sixth or seventh version of whatever the number is going to be of a book because you have other versions? Are you going to try and maybe finally throw out or donate previous books to make room for the new set? It just seems like Scholastic, if they had their wish, if they could rub a lamp, I'm sure, and and Bloomsbury for, for their part, would just expect you to buy every single version of the i can't believe they're already redoing kazu kibuishis right like they come on that was like four years ago that they just they redid all seven harry potter books they're doing it again it's funny though because we're all going through how many copies we have but i mean for sorcerer's stone i probably have more than 10 copies really what how well, you get there really quickly, though. I mean, you mentioned U.S., right? Paperback and hardcover. The U.K., I have hardcover of both the children's edition and the adult edition. The 10th anniversary, the illustrated, the house editions. Oh, f- how many of those oh, do you have? Oh, I forgot about those. Okay, I have I have two, two, two house editions. So, so that, that brings Andrew, that brings you up to five. Mike is at six, but how many? Yeah, how many house do you have two house editions? Yep. Yeah, that's eight. And then I also have them in a, a couple different languages. So I have Spanish, French, German. I may have a couple more. So what? it's really? definitely over 10. Yeah. Well, this is crazy. You two are crazy. Do you read Spanish and French? French, yes, a little bit, but not the others. I just uh, – there was a point that I did start collecting them. And that's that's where the question comes in too because – Clearly, this series has been translated in I don't even know how many languages. 180. Scots was the 180th translation. Okay. So does that mean there's 180 different versions of Sorcerer's Stone from a cover standpoint? You could go on all day as it relates to the series, and, and they just keep making more of them. So it's funny that we can sit here, or at least for me, that I can sit here and I can say, yeah, you know, they're making too many of these things, but... At the end of the day, I have more than 10 copies of Sorcerer's Stone, so clearly something's wrong with me. Why do you guys buy the paperbacks? You have the like the original, because it's the same exact cover, it's just soft cover. Paperbacks is how I started out. I got a box set of the first four paperbacks, and that was so I don't own hardcovers of the first four, with the exception of the Goblet of Fire we all know about, that like, he holds my passport, you know, secretly. Not, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. But um, I don't have a hardcover of the first four books, and I never have. And I guess the UK editions, nope, even those are um, all paperback. So I don't own many hardcovers. And in many cases, Andrew, to answer your question, I get the paperbacks because they're cheaper. Yeah. But like, if you already have a hardback, I'm saying I don't think you need to also buy the paperback. Like, there seems to be no reason. Yeah. I mean, if I'm already, if I have the paperback, I don't usually splurge on the but if you're uh, a collector though you would no because i mean those are exactly the same to me like if it's the exact same cover and i have a paperback i won't get the hardcover why blow 35 dollars like on have on getting the exact same book but that's where the house editions come in right like the house editions when they first came out were only hardcover maybe or were they could you choose they all came out at the same time okay well then and I actually, I guess I have the paperback for those two. So right now I'm based on my budget more so than collector's thing. But I did buy it because of the perks. That's what Katie is saying in the chat too. She says, as a mega collector of other things, I think the too much point is when you A, run out of money and or B, run out of space. 
I wonder how many mega collectors of HP books there are. And uh, Rebecca says, I can't afford to buy every edition they come out with. It doesn't phase me when they just change the cover. The illustrated editions and ending with bonus content inside, like the house editions, would be what makes me want to buy new editions. I agree with that completely. I like I don't buy the paperbacks because there's nothing new there. I did buy the house and illustrated editions because they are very new. They There's a lot added. I bought this anniversary edition because it has an all-new cover. It has J.K. Rowling's illustration of Snape. And has this other piece of artwork of Hagrid in the lake going to Hogwarts. It's nice little touches like that. I'm just going to blame the podcast, honestly. <laughs> Why? No, I mean, well, look, we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff on the show, right? But the house editions, the illustrated editions, the anniversary editions, I probably would not actively go out and purchase them if we weren't sitting here talking about them on the show. Like, But some of the other stuff that I mentioned like in different languages, that was just from purely a collector standpoint yeah wanting... i want to know i want to know everything about how you got your french guy i didn't know you read french mike and that's real cool yep i'm just going to proclaim now i am not buying the 20th anniversary editions uh, <laughs> from scholastic <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> i may have said that on when we were initially talking about it yeah because there's nothing new in them there's just the covers well i would say for me moving forward outside of the illustrated editions there has to be some sort of new content in the anniversary edition, whether it's 20th anniversary or however they're going to do it moving forward, there needs to be something in there that is worthwhile, it makes it collectible outside of it just being X anniversary. Yeah. But I mean, getting back to like, can we put a number on how many copies is too many of any one book? I mean, do you guys have tabling that again for a second? Do you guys have multiple copies of book two, book three, book four, book five? Only the illustrated editions. So I will say... So it's tapered off for you. It like, you know, sloughs off there. Oh, yeah. I've Well, the only duplicate I have is um, Half-Blood Prince UK and Deathly Hollows UK. But I don't have more than one, four, or five. I will once the illustrated editions come out. I have uh, paperback and hardcovers of books six and five in US, I think. And definitely... All seven UK children's and all seven UK adult hardback paperback. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah, I do too. It's the complete set. It's not just yeah one like one I, book I a box uh, set. Yeah, and I also I just looked have Italian as well. So uh, and that my brother spent time in Italy and and when he came back he brought a couple copies of Potter different books. I don't remember which ones, but then it was just kind of random to have. Half-Blood Prince in Italian, Order the Phoenix in Italian, and not have the rest of the set. <laughs> yeah. Got to collect them all. So is there a number? Can we agree? And, and here's the thing is like, it's not, I don't think we're actively as MuggleCast being like, if you have above this number, you have too many. But Well, here's my question though. <laughs> my question Just to answer to your, Eric's question. My <laughs> question to your question, trust me, it relates. Are you asking about how many is too many for you to own or how many is too many for Scholastic and Bloomsbury to no, be? No, for you to own. What is your personal I don't, like? I don't think there is too many. We can't say to somebody you have too many books. If they collect the series, they collect the series. Yeah. But you don't have a limit? Okay, so that's it, Micah's answer. Whatever you want. My answer is three. Original, illustrated, and if they're going to release some anniversary edition that has a lot of new content that I want... In this case, the house edition from the UK, I'm into that. Sign me up. So three, I, I feel, is good enough for me. I'm going to say no more than four of any one book. So that allows for the illustrated. It allows for 
the original UK Children's UK Adult doesn't allow for Kazu or Johnny Duddle, who both do excellent work, or the house editions. But I'm just saying, anytime, if you want to get a new Harry Potter book, this is my advice to Harry Potter fans, you want to get a new Harry Potter book, donate your old one. Give it to a kid. Give it to a, a child. Find a child somewhere. and Or if you are if you find yourself tempted to buy one of the new new covers, like the Johnny Duddle or the Kazu or whatever's coming next, do, do it. Buy it. But gift it to somebody. You know what, Eric? That's a great idea. So I actually have a full set here that years ago was was given to me by Scholastic. I forget what it was. It was probably to review or or something along those lines. I'm going to donate that. I'm going to find a place that I can donate it where I know it'll be put to good use and and hopefully maybe get some some kids into Harry Potter. So. Yeah, and here here's the thing for me too, like with those covers, right? You you buy them because you want them for yourself. You want to see the covers. You want to see them on a bookshelf. If you have a a, a young family member, like a niece or a nephew, who ha- doesn't own a set and their parents weren't hardcore Harry fans for some reason, give it to them. That way, you can still see them and visit them and visit the books without physically them owning them and having them be on your bookshelf. Here's the thing: so like, find a close family member. When I say donate. Also, donating books is a great idea, but you know, get it for a close family member is my secondary uh, suggestion. That's a good. That's a good point. So I will keep you updated on what I end up doing with that box set, but uh, I will put it to good use. Then just collecting some dust on uh, my bookshelf right now. That said, I might want that tenth anniversary, Andrew. You said there's a photo of Hagrid going to Hogwarts. Yeah, on on the boat. But Andrew's keeping that though, so yeah, yeah, you can uh, you can look at mine if you want, but you can go visit. He already he already gave you a poster. What else do you want? Yeah, I already visit for the. I'm just taking all the stuff, Andrew. I just want all your Harry Potter merch. But I do agree. It's it's people's personal preferences. There should we're not proclaiming any one person should just have three editions like I did. I mean, whatever whatever feels right to you. That said, I will purchase every edition of cursed child that they released i've already purchased the hardback <laughs> and paperback if a, a one-year anniversary edition comes out i will buy that oh did you did, wait did you buy the uh the final copy the final edition of cursed child oh yes of course i was there for the midnight release of that as well the final edition are you just blowing smoke like are you... i'm being sarcastic yeah, yeah I did so not. you didn't so you don't have a final copy of the cursed child script wait no i think i did and then i returned it because i was comparing the two scripts to see yeah oh I did. that's right okay and then you were <laughs> buying books and returning them also counts as having it in copy <laughs> oh man yeah i remember those painful few weeks where i did that that was uh that was rough well uh we also asked this question over on uh patreon and got a Number of answers, I think, in line with a lot of what we've been saying, but uh, we'll just read through some of these here. We heard from Morgan Sane, who said, They can keep making editions on editions, but I'm simply going to stick with the originals and the illustrated editions. I don't need more than two of each book. Two. Ooh, that's uh, that's uh, so strict, so rigid. <laughs> Matthew so smart Jordan, with their money. For me, uh, the new Hogwarts editions kind of drew the line of what I don't really want in new editions. The collector colors are cool, but new editions should have either new content or new illustrations that we've never seen before, which is why the illustrated editions, first three out now, are perfect. Absolutely perfect. Just stop there. Not a fan of them being able to rebrand the covers and call it a day, but they struck perfection with the illustrated editions that can be enjoyed by all ages. Retweet. Yeah, retweet. The illustrated editions are the most substantial 
redos of the Harry Potter books that have ever existed. And a lot of work goes into them, so much so that they are worth owning. Credit where it's due. The illustrated editions are all fantastic. Chelsea said, I only ever bought my original set when I was younger, which are currently being held together with tape because I have read them so much. (laughs) None of the other editions appealed to me until the house editions. As for the illustrated versions, I'm waiting until they are all released and going to buy the box set. Uh, So for me, having three sets, original, house, and illustrated is as far as I would go. There you go, Andrew. Evelyn said, I think there needs to be a good reason for a new edition. I've written to you about this before, so no harm saying it here. I see value in a special edition of the books with Rowling's original line drawings and or commentary slash footnotes. Uh, This would be interesting. Jim K's illustrated editions also offer something new, so I do not have a problem with those. In fact, I think it is important to have something that can help people move away from movies' depictions of characters. Re-releasing books with nothing different other than a cover doesn't seem to make sense to me. Felicia says, I am not sure, but being a collector, I really wish they would stop. Roxanne, who is also a collector, says she has over 200 books, including 81 different copies. So I'm not that bad. 81? 81 different copies of Sorcerer's Stone and books in 54 languages. We need to interview her. Yeah, get her on the show. Eight complete sets of one to seven, six in English, two in other languages. And our goal is to collect all of the US and UK editions and get book one in as many languages as she can. Plus, complete a few more foreign language sets that I really love the cover art for. So yeah, so that's something to mention too. I mean, if you look at all these different, some of them are really cool. You know, I know we went through on a previous episode and we were like, which one would you choose, US or UK? But you can throw in all these different ones and, and it's interesting to see what those illustrators decided to to choose the scenes they chose to depict. If anyone has a large collection, please send it in to us. Like, take a photo and send it in. We would love to see what that actually looks like, how you organize them, you know, the bookshelf you have it on. Please, 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 I would love to see that. And then finally, we heard from Allie, who said, I think the anniversary editions are going to begin to go by the wayside. In a sense, I feel that people who have the 10th and now 20th editions are just going to be doing it for collection's sake. Many of these books may never go unopened, and though we may want to continue buying them, they will begin to become a money grab. Myself, I have only bought the original series, House Edition of Philosopher's Stone, and am collecting the illustrated editions, and though I may want more, can I truly justify spending the money? Now, maybe in the future I'll buy a new set for my future children, but they need to allow these books to become classics without constantly being reprinted and recovered, allow Potter to stand on its own merit, and lessons rather than new covers and editions. So some good points there, I think, from Allie. And and she kind of made me think, though, too, if you look at other series that we've come to know that have become very popular or, or were popular even before Potter came out, like let's say Lord of the Rings, how many different times did they rebrand those books or put out different covers? And I don't know the answer to that, but... I think Lord of the Rings, actually, the reason that you may find several old copies with different covers was because they legit, like, the publisher's rights ran out. Like, it literally expired 25 years with one publisher, 13 with the next, and, like, the new publisher just changed the cover up. But you're talking about such an impressive spread of time that these books existed, and there weren't cover upon cover upon cover. Usually, I think with fantasy and young adult literature, too, you get the books when they first come out. 
then they may have a cover for the movie, right? Like Divergent released the covers with the at least the first one I remember having the the movie cover version of the Divergent book. And and you know, you get that sticker that says now a major motion picture from blah 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 blah. And like they do that, right? That's too, but it really seems to be only Harry Potter that does it this frequently and it's really disgusting. I was just so mad Eric said disgusting. It's bad. It's really like do they really think that sales for Harry Potter are waning. Are sales for Harry Potter really waning that much more than should waning? Yeah, as much as continuing. Right. They just they're continuing to bank on. They're like, well, if we release a new edition that looks different, all the same old people who already bought Harry Potter are going to buy it again. That's the most capitalist. Ugh. Ugh. If nothing but disdain. Sam, who is listening live, says, I would buy a new edition of Cursed Child if it removed the line about Scorpius asking Rose out. <laughs> okay, I How would too. How about a Scorbus edition of Cursed Child? I'd buy that. Isn't that just Never Severus? Yeah, yeah, true. But like a few extra pages added in about their romance to... To the actual script book. I'm going to do that and see how long it takes to get a cease and desist from Scholastic. They should have just saved the trees on Cursed Child. Ouch. Oh, come on. Shots fired. I will say, again, I I am keeping an open mind about seeing it on Broadway with y'all. Yeah, yeah, we've... We've said that. Yeah, but uh, the 54 versions and the... Or 56 that uh, (laughs) uh, Roxanne said that she had. You know, I would encourage you again, pay it forward. Like, if you have children or if your neighbors have children or if your cousins are are having kids now and, you know, gift them. Why not? Why not give them some of these copies? Because, like, owning it, unless you have... I just can't imagine the shelf space. I, for one, have always struggled with shelf space in my apartments that I've had in Chicago, and I've really finally gotten to a point where it's manageable, but I just can't... It's unconscionable having space for 56 editions of Harry Potter and then not space for, like, the other classics, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or the collected works of Shakespeare and things like that. Like, I just... You're fighting for space unless you're not, and I think that you should just give it to kids. Like Allie Marie, a different Allie says on Patreon... Sounds like open adoption for the books. Adopt your books, everybody. Give your extra copies to, to people out there. Get more young kids reading. Harry Potter will affect them the same way it affected you, guaranteed. For more on this, we spoke in episode 331 about consumerism in the Harry Potter fandom, the different elements of, of the merchandising world and whatnot. So check that out. That was a fun discussion. Yeah, this was a fun discussion. So thanks to Mackenzie T. Before we continue, we'd like to let you know that this week's episode is also brought to you by Bright Sellers. Andrew, have you ever tried an Accio spell without any luck? All the time. I complain about it every week now, it seems like. Well, now's your chance to really make some magic happen. Bright Sellers is the personalized wine service that allows you to summon four bottles of wine each month, something even Professor Flitwick would be impressed by. All you have to do is visit brightsellers.com slash mugglecast and take an easy seven-question quiz. A little bit of magic will happen based on your answers, and Bright Sellers will show you the four wines that are most likely to match your personal taste. Plus, Valentine's Day is this week. What better way to celebrate? I can speak from personal experience on the quiz. It is very easy to take, and it does match your answers with your taste, and you get Four bottles of wine that you will definitely enjoy. 
The best part is that we charm 50% off the first month for listeners of the show. All you have to do is visit brightsellers.com slash mugglecast to get wine summon right to your door. That's bright like a light bulb, sellers like a wine cellar. Let's get to some emails. This first one's from Sam. I'm a new listener as of last week and a new Slug Club member as of yesterday. Thank you, Sam. I've been trying to catch up on old episodes. I'm only at episode 320, so maybe this has already been covered. But I've noticed Eric bring up the question of what the American equivalent of Diagon Alley is a few times. I did some digging and discovered this info about Ebbingdale's, a giant magical department store that is referenced in one of the newspapers at the beginning of Fantastic Beasts. Not quite a mall like Eric predicted, but pretty darn close. Hope you guys are doing well, and I'm excited to tune in this week for my first live show. Oh, Sam was the one who suggested the uh, new edition of Cursed Child that removes Scorpius out of asking Rose out. Apparently, ebbing is the opposite of blooming. <laughs> so that's super funny. Oh. Uh, word etymology. Yeah, this reminds me of, uh, I'm trying to think what the place was. Um, Barney's uh, was the restaurant on top of Barney's. Well, Macy's. So Macy's, Macy's, big department store, yeah, multi- yeah. multiple floors. Multiple, yeah, definitely five floors. Is that what you're thinking of? No, I'll find it out. New York City. Well, it would make sense. I mean. Yeah, I think that's what the reference is, as this says. Well, they were also in the movie. Didn't they go to Macy's? Or they went to some department store. Where went they, to a uh, department store. I'm talking about being in being in New York for like the Goblet of Fire book release. We went shopping on Fifth Avenue that one time and there was like a huge department store that I saw. And I thought it was Barney's. Not that we shopped there because it was way too expensive. Yeah, Barney's New York. I'm looking at it right now. Anyway, this art looks like it was designed by uh, Mina Lima. I mean, I'm sure it was. Yeah. So that's... We don't know if this was a store that J.K. Rowling made up, or maybe they asked Team J.K. Rowling, like, hey, we want to do a big department store f- for wizards. What would it be called? And they were like, Ebbingdale's. I still like the idea of a wizarding strip mall, though, getting back to 320 or whatever it was. But um, yeah, wizarding strip mall or like a mall of the America or like a Park City mall is a star, but like a lightning bolt for wizards. I want to see that. Next email from Kayla. I was listening to episode 351 on my drive home today and had a thought about Jacob. We know that France, or at least Paris, is a much more wizard-friendly environment than America during this time period. So is it possible that part of why Jacob ends up in France is because the other three-fourths of the quartet is looking to restore his memory in a setting that won't hold such strong consequences for them? So she brings up a hypothetical where Queenie has spent the time between movies building her relationship with Jacob while not actually pulling him directly into the wizarding world. And Newt has been continuing his research on the swooping evil venom and discovers a way to reverse the effects it had on Jacob's memory. So rather than Newt returning to the U.S., he has Queenie and Tina bring Jacob with them to Europe. I like that idea. Personally, I think that the restoration of Jacob's memory will be a footnote and not very touched upon. I think we'll start movie two with him pretty much where we need him to be in terms of remembering everything. I don't think I will disagree vehemently because that was such a big part of the end of the movie. I don't think you can just like, no, he already remembered, though. The movie made a point to let us know he already remembered. So that's like not just with the little smile he gives Queenie, but with the beasts as pastries and everything like Jacob was 79 percent of the way towards completely remembering everything not to mention swooping evil venom only gets rid of bad memories and i'm sure a lot of that was positive stuff i'm 100 percent certain that it's not going to be a big deal 
getting him back to snuff or scruff. And our last email here is from Jack Stevens, who says, hey, you've probably already covered this in a previous podcast, but I'd love to hear a show devoted to ways to expand the Harry Potter universe. You mentioned perhaps something could happen with Quidditch through the ages, and it got me thinking about a story that follows Ginny through her career with the Harpies. Would love to see slash read about that. Thanks. I think what we're seeing with Fantastic Beasts is it's not what we expected when they originally announced Fantastic Beasts. So I think if they do decide to explore Quidditch Through the Ages as a potential film series, yeah, it could go out to Ginny's career. It could maybe just look at some wizard who has been an inspiring Quidditch player, makes his way through the tournament. But I, I just can't imagine like a, a wizarding world sport movie like i don't think there's really a series in that yeah i mean unless you pair it with the rise and fall of delphi from cursed child and uh you know you can do like a five six movie series of uh jenny jenny's career i still think the the gaping hole is tv so i think i would like to see them just do a tv show based on the original seven books there's so much material in there that was not included in the movies And I would just add, too, that I think that Quidditch has really taken on a life of its own in the real world in terms of college sports, right? So many colleges have Quidditch teams now and and probably even some high schools. But just the level to which that has risen, I don't think you need to take that book and and make it into a five-part film series. I think Quidditch has established itself enough for right now. I doubt they would look at it that way. But maybe from a fan perspective, yes, we have enough Quidditch right now. We don't need fictional Quidditch. Any other things you would, any other ways you would like to see the series expand? I agree with what you said to see if they end up going into uh, the TV space. But it's going to be interesting with everything that we know is is coming up later this year. They've seemed to have expanded into the video game slash mobile game space a little bit more. Would love to see some news on the the theme park we know that another ride is being built is another expansion in the works but in terms of like new ways i don't know i think we're good for right now i got it you guys i want supermarket take home like you do starbucks but for hot butter beer and cold butter beer and ice butter beer yeah butter beer on demand butter beer <laughs> just call it Accio butter beer I'm gonna literally be battling butterbeer on demand and beach body on demand. We're gonna we're gonna face off. It's gonna be like my off days I'll do the butterbeer, then the on days I'll do the How about an official Harry Potter podcast? There's no criticism, it's just blinding love for the series. It can be Pottermore the podcast. Yeah, Pottermore can run it. It can and the entire podcast can only be spoken in the passive voice. Well, this news item was uh, revealed uh, exclu- uh, exclusively today. Yeah. There have been rumors and we as an official outlet, we'll just call them rumors. Rumors, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh guys, we got to do Hi, I'm Pottermore correspondent 1 and I'm Pottermore correspondent <laughs> 2. No names to no to, names. Protect, to protect children. And now we're going to talk about five-way Snape was actually a good person to Harry Potter. I think we have something, you guys. In all seriousness, how about like a new Harry Potter story released exclusively through audiobooks or podcasts? Like what what are those called? Like a radio, old-time radio? What what am I thinking of? Like a fireside chat? Yeah, like a fireside chat. All right, y'all. Today on Pottermore Podcast, we're talking about our latest article, Every Time Harry Potter Should Have Been Expelled from Hogwarts. <laughs> when Ron crashed the Ford Anglia. Oh, that's a good one, actually, Pottermore. 
I don't know that he should have been expelled, really. They just, what should have happened is Dobby, there should have been a lot more investigation into what caused the barrier to seal itself. You want to punish an already downtrodden house elf for... No, I want to, I want to expose the house elf. Like, that barrier And what do you think existed... would happen as a result of that back in the time of Chamber of Secrets? Uh, that barrier has existed for hundreds of years. You mean to tell me they can't tell what happened to it? Or that something happened to it? Because they don't understand house elf magic? Okay. Just looking through all the Pottermore content. Five muggle inventions that wizards are missing out on. Yeah, you know what, guys? We should just, uh, for April Fool's Day this year, we should just do official Potter. We just pretend that we're, we'll only refer to ourselves as Correspondent 1, Correspondent 2, and Correspondent 3. And yeah, it'll be a real challenge. It'll be beautiful. Seven wizarding keep fit tips to live your life by. The Gaunt Family Tree article, I think this was in relation to our Gaunt discussion a few weeks ago. Everybody just text MuggleCast to 303030, join Beachbody, you do not need Pottermore's health tips. All right, well, to wrap up the show here, we have a bit of an announcement. You wrote this, Eric, so you can... No! Oh, well, okay. (laughs) Super fun, big, big Patreon announcement right now. For those of you who know, and several of you are listening live, you do know... We first opened the MuggleCast Patreon at the end of January 2016. So this is our second, we just passed our second anniversary last week. It's unbelievable. And it's been really, 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 really much a great ride. The past two years have been huge. In exchange for us helping to return to being a weekly podcast again, we've delivered chapter readings, bonus MuggleCasts, signed album art, and a t-shirt of people's choosing. Then... More recently, with the advent of Slug Club, patrons have even opted to get in on monthly giveaways, live Google Hangouts, and more. And now, as the MuggleCast Patreon enters its next year, we'd like to reveal what the next patron gift will be. Andrew, take it away. Oh, okay. Well, this was actually Eric's idea, but we are going to be sending out to everyone who is at the Dumbledore's Army level or above... A Mugglecast mug. Yeah. Coffee mug. Get it? Mugglecast? Yeah, we're having a ton of fun planning this. Yeah, we're designing something really fun. We want to hold off on sharing more details until everything is finalized, but it's going to be a cute little gift. It's going to be a pretty substantial gift. Uh, We figured out a way to mail them to everybody and to so many people, so we're excited that we're going to be able to do this. And that will be going out later in the year. Yeah, absolutely. So just to be clear, so people who have joined and been our patrons and gotten the signed album art and the shirts, like you don't need to do anything else. You're going to get a mug. Like it's going to be, it's already, too, it's it's the, we're describing it as the, the 2018 gift. This is just the patron gift that we give to you for your support of us. And it's going to be, they're going to be amazing. And we're working on some really, really cool things to do with them that we aren't even going to announce right now. But if you do want to be eligible for the mug, you will have to be a member for a few months. So make sure you sign up as soon as possible. And then this is actually going to tie into something we're going to be starting in a couple of weeks from now, the 777 challenge. We want to get 777 supporters on Patreon. And in fact, we want to surpass that. So to drive interest, we're announcing this mug, go cast mug, and some other benefits are coming down the pipeline, including the return of signed album art. And we want to do something special for everybody to help drive support. So we're going to be announcing a couple more details in the weeks ahead. But even though the 777 challenge hasn't officially started yet, if you 
pledge now, you will still be eligible for all the sweet benefits. Absolutely. So, yes, starting today, starting at the time of this announcement, you can all get in on the mug, although it's our 2018 patron gift. So this is what you can get in on. Existing patrons do nothing, change nothing. You're already be getting a mug. New patrons, if you start and sign up at the Dumbledore's Army or higher level, you will also get a mug. And it's going to be amazing. Thanks, everybody, for your support over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. It is why we are doing weekly. And it's been going great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's have some quizage before we wrap up today's episode. Okay. This is the question that was asked last week. Thank you for looking in the document and finding that, you guys. No problem. It was right there. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I left clues. Last week's question was, in Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 10, Hermione's working on an essay entitled Principles of blank. What's the essay title? And this answer was The Principles of Rematerialization. Ron did not understand this at all. This is actually the opening page or one page after uh, Half of Prince uh, 195, page 195. Ron is trying to read it upside down. So he's pulling a very Luna, Luna thing. Thank you to all who submitted. I'm not sure we got one uh, submission, but I got to look that up. I, none popped up in my feed. That's because you didn't do the segment. Yeah, if you played, just always, always, always for Quizich, tweet at us. At MuggleCast. Well, I'm not going to host this segment again. We get answers everywhere via text, via email, via Patreon. So it's it's hard to kind of round them up. But the best way is to tweet Eric so he can. Thanks see for them making me feel better, Andrew. No, no, no. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't do anything, Mike. I'm gonna. I'm searching MuggleCast and rematerialization. Rematerialization on Twitter. Here we go. All right. Well. Good luck with that. I want to plug the voicemail line. If you go to MuggleCast.com, you can find all of our contact information there. Or just listen to what I'm about to say. MuggleCast at gmail.com is the way to email. But if you'd like to call us, we would love to hear your voice and play it on the show. The number is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four. Five three. Yeah, we don't have a single person who at replied S and Z rematerialization. So everybody lost Quizich this week. But this next week's question is one I'm particularly fond of, and this has to do with Quidditch. Not Quizich, but it's Quizich and Quidditch this year. It's quiz it's itchception. What famous Quidditch player died after encountering a chimera and has a wing at St. Mungo's Hospital named after him? So this is a big, big question. Also, as a bonus, for bonus points, what is the specialty of that wing at St. Mungo's? So we'll post this We'll pose this question, and please be sure to post your answer over on our Twitter. Sorry, I completely forgot that you had to actually give a new question. I forgot how Quizzage works with you being off for two weeks. Yeah, sorry. Well, uh, we're back. That's my excuse anyway. And a little housekeeping. We are back, but not back next week. As it's just the way it goes, next week, all of us have something going on. Two of us are traveling and one of us are doing something else. So we're not going to have a new episode next week, I'm sorry to say, but we will be back on February 26th. So listen to an old episode of MuggleCast next week if you are missing us. Yeah, maybe that consumerism one was a really good one. Or the one Micah shouted out about Cornelius Fudge. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be at a Doctor Who convention in Los Angeles called Gallifrey One. And that's where I'm going to be next weekend. Are you going to go to the Wizarding World Hollywood? Oh, I should, shouldn't I? (laughs) Only if you want to. I've never been. Yeah, I absolutely should. Uh, How do I get? Right. I'm going to ask you about parking, Andrew, because I don't. 
Oh, well, uh, bring a $100 bill, and that should cover about <laughs> one-fifth of the parking cost. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.